I'm Steve Lascauzo. This is The Way. Welcome to our episode-by-episode discussion of Star Wars Visions, an anthology of anime-styled animation available to Disney Plus subscribers. All nine season one episodes are available now. The stories don't connect or count, as far as canon is concerned. It's a streaming series that is an experiment. A chance for different artists from a different culture to reveal how Star Wars inspires their work today. Different studios, different animation styles, different directors, most importantly, different points of view. Star Wars, through a different lens. And maybe that's why it's called Visions. Yeah? Good. In this episode, we're talking about Episode 5 of Visions, titled The Ninth Jedi. The writer and director was Kenji Kamiyana, and what he came up with has probably moved this into my top spot so far. I've said it many times, I'm not a huge fan of this style of animation, but the movement and imagery he produced bridged a gap to me as a Star Wars fan. Production IG is the house responsible for Ghost in the Shell, which is one of the most famous anime properties in at least the United States, if not also Japan. The episode runs 20 minutes 50 seconds from first action to credits, and honestly, I left wanting even more. The big roles, La Cara is voiced by Kimiko Glenn. Andro Kishino is Juro, who also played Azuma in The Village Bride. He was once the husband of Vanessa Marshall, a big name for fans of animated Star Wars. She was Hera Syndulla in Rebels and the Bad Batch, but they're no longer married. Simu Liu of Shang-Chi and Kim's Convenience plays the blacksmith La Jima. Masi Oka voices Ethan, and I remember him as Hiro Nakamura in the NBC show Heroes. The story, action sequences, treatment of the Sith and Jedi, and also the soundtrack work together wonderfully. I highly recommend you scout out Nobuko Toda and Kazumo Jinochi's work on Spotify. It's a really good soundtrack. I will also recommend the Filmmaker Focus featurette for this episode as well. It can be found, as usual, in the Extras tab on the Visions Disney Plus page. It runs about 7 minutes 40 seconds. It's worth your watch. Some of the interesting points revealed there. This was originally conceived as two separate stories. The Blacksmith or Sabersmith story and the trap for either the Jedi or the Sith, depending on how you envision it. Margrave Juro was purposely made to look evil, but be a Jedi, while the others were made to look like Jedi, but be Sith. Executive producer Mitsuhisa Ishikawa, at one early point in that filmmaker focus featurette, says the original Star Wars was like a Bible to him. His reverence and love for the themes really came across. He says it was a must-do project. Well, let's talk about it then after a quick break. What? I'm Steve Lascalzo, and I'm speaking to you now on behalf of Cufflinks.com. December is here, which means The Book of Boba Fett will soon be available on Disney+. You don't need to hire someone through the guild to bring home the bounty this Christmas. Go to Cufflinks.com and take a look around. New items pop up all the time, and this month, 
There are bracelets and stainless steel necklaces, ombre socks, and new designs everywhere. Boba Fett? Believe it. Mando and Grogu? It's true. All of it. Vader, R2-D2, Yoda, Chewie, Stormtroopers, TIE Fighters, the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, Lightsabers, Blasters, Walkers, Speeders. There are more than 3,000 licensed accessories made by this small family-run business. Cufflinks.com is the exclusive, officially licensed provider of cufflinks for dozens of top-name brands, and Star Wars isn't the only one. Browse through a selection of Disney, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, DC Comics, some new Star Trek offerings, and fans of our This is the Way Phase 4 podcast may recall we talk quite a lot about their great Marvel-themed items. Maybe you're looking for top fashion design names or sports-themed items from leagues like MLB, NFL, NCAA, NHL, and the NBA. And it's not all cufflinks. Ties, tie bars, clips, shirt studs, stays, father-son gift sets, lapel pins, money clips, pocket squares, socks, even a mystery box. If you go shopping, enter The Way 15 at checkout for 15% off everything in your cart with no minimum to buy. And check out their website because they often have codes that will let you have a little bit more for your buck. Whether you want to share your imperial side or let everyone know how much of a rebel you are, Cufflinks.com has you covered. Check out Cufflinks.com today. This is the way. The show starts with narration, and I wonder if it was originally designed as going to be like a title crawl that you would see before the feature films. Those crawls, of course, are very special and only to the saga films. So... I thought it was nice that if that was the concept, then it stayed in and lived on in a different form. Like maybe they wanted to have a crawl, but they were told, no, you can't do that. It described the situation for us. And we don't have to wonder what's going on at the start. And even though it comes before the two stories that were separate have to come together, they were two separate stories that came together, it tells us how those two stories tie together. The Jedi and Sith aren't myths, but they are scattered and there's a war. It is lightsabers that are the things of legend here. The ruler of the Outer Rim planet High Islan has been mining kyber crystals to create lightsabers for the Jedi to restart the Order. It's not said in the narration, but in the show we not only see that a lightsaber's color is dependent on who is wielding it, but also that a person's use of the Force can change in the middle of battle. The action of the episode really begins with a starship approaching some kind of space station in orbit. Ethan arrives in the temple, and he's kind of chatty. Tells everyone in the room he's got an encoded message saying, Masterless Jedi should meet here. He does not read the room well, but he does sense the Force is strong. Those who arrived seem first bothered by Ethan's naivete, and then Rodan, a human with a look that says Jedi, approaches him and tells them they are all here in response to the same call. Ethan says out loud what everyone must be wondering, is the message authentic? The hologram he plays has Juro Margrave, or Margrave Juro, giving his plans to restore the Jedi by providing them with lightsabers and the meeting place is actually an aerial temple above the planet. A small blue alien called Hanbei wants to see the lightsabers. He knows there's a deposit of kyber crystals, but he's skeptical that Juro can produce the ancient weaponry. 
a masked figure named Hanjin wonders if Juro can be trusted. A thought Ethan agrees with, because what if it's a trap? It's a trap! If Hanbei wants to see weapons, well then Rodin wants to see this Juro. Nizo, a purplish, grayish female humanoid, wonders why they'd all walk into a trap if they didn't think they could survive, you know, just to see a lightsaber. A creature named Homen supposes maybe they just believe they're strong enough in the Force to protect themselves. Then a masked figure with a cloak named Taguro suggests there's a dark side presence among them. The Force. You said that it was strong here. But I sense the dark side in this place. That's when a steward droid makes an appearance and welcomes the Seven to the temple and says though the Margrave frightens others, he's just an old guy stuck in his castle. He doesn't show himself much, but the steward promises he's going to show up as promised with the lightsabers. Today is the day he promised to meet you, so I am sure he will arrive soon. The planet has rings around it that apparently hold some of the crystals and some trebuchet-looking devices help mine the rings for the rocks that contain those crystals. A girl and her droid are watching, and when a rock falls, she hops onto a jump speeder like Rey rode in The Force Awakens, and she heads after it. Inside one of the buildings, a sabersmith pounds at a crystal, so he's actually hitting the crystal with a hammer. So instead of pounding a metal blade, he's hammering the actual crystal. And he finishes assembling one of the lightsabers. He clicks the crystal into the chamber, slides the housing onto the blade, turns it on, and it's a long, colorless blade. But we do hear that famous hum. This blacksmith is La Jama, and La Kara is his daughter. Kara tries out the new saber. It's got no color still and varying lengths. This allows her dad to explain to her and us that the length and the color is determined by the wielder's attunement to the Force. She's not experienced yet, so it's colorless, and short or long at times, whenever she ignites it, it changes. La Jama assures her. Her connection will grow, and he's quite pleased that he managed to fill his contract for Margrave Juro. A ship of some kind passes overhead, and Lajama bundles up the sabers and tells his daughter she needs to get them to the Ariel Temple. She feels something is off. You've grown up so much, Kara. You're all strange. Like this is the last time we'll see each other. Two masked figures arrive and confront Jama and tell him to hand over the illegal lightsabers or else. He protests, and he's heating up the Kyber furnace. Just then, Kara speeds by the window, and one of the figure fires. Jama appears to deflect the bolt with his hand, and it hits the furnace, causing a small explosion. Kara is upset. Her father is, you know, on the ground there. She stops. Her father tells her, go. You know, you have to get those lightsabers to Margrave Juro. Juro Margrave, whatever his name is. And then he gets knocked unconscious. Kara takes off. One of the men follows her on a speeder of his own. In the aerial temple, Rodin demands evidence. Hanbei agrees. The servant then produces a box with a lightsaber. He shows it off, and Rodin picks it up, but he doesn't ignite it. Ethan pushes forward and says he wants to see it. A lightsaber. A real lightsaber. None of the people there know how to use one properly, I would guess, but Ethan ignites it and talks about how he's always wanted to see one. 
All of them have probably trained with metal swords in fighting, because how would you know how to use a lightsaber if not? Rodin seems amazed. Hanbei's eyes sharpen, and this is the first visual clue that we're given that something might be up. The droid says the remaining sabers are on their way. Kara is then seen speeding across the landscape. She's avoiding shots from behind as she's hunted. The return of the Jedi speeder chase is paid homage here. The weaving in and out of the forest and through the trees. Kara deflecting bolts with a saber. They emerge from the forest onto a frozen lake and she leaps off, slides along, and I feel like there's a lot more to say about the animation of the chase. It's so well done. Usually animation and backgrounds feel wrong to me in the anime, but here, whatever technique they're using makes the action almost feel live. The hunter gives chase, bears down on her, but Kara deflects several bolts with the colorless blade. Then in slow motion, she cuts down the speeder and it sends the hunter skidding along the surface. Not only that, she either calls the speeder that she was riding back to her, or it just spun around to where she's standing. So she hops on and she's able to speed away toward a shuttle depot. The story keeps moving and Kara reaches a shuttle depot with several weird looking droids. One of them appears to be drinking tea, but it's probably just warm oil. There's a light-hearted exchange where the droid doesn't seem to want to move. He says he's on a break, but none of the others on the bench with him seem functional. She pulls out what might be a 5 yen piece, a coin with a, you know, a golden coin with a hole missing in the middle, but surely it's just credits. It seems enough to get him to move. And this is also the scene where I thought four nines, Kara's droid, it kind of reminded me of Bubo, the clockwork owl in the 80s movie Clash of the Titans, the way he's moving around. It's not a homage to R2-D2 or any other droid that I can think of. It just kind of reminded me the way he was moving of Bubo. Are you? I'm, uh, my name is Kara. I'm the daughter of the sabersmith Lajima. Kara arrives at the spaceport and a gathered group draws near. They ask if she's the one with lightsabers. She tells them her father was captured by hunters. She unbundles the sabers, and the group reach for them, and she's hoping that they'll help her get him back. Kara wonders where the Margrave is. Ethan wonders, you know, if she knows him. Of course, she says, ever since she was a baby. That's when Hanbei ominously asks if she knows where he might be right now. Something doesn't feel right, says Rodin. They don't have a choice and will have to wait for the Margrave to arrive. Then the six of them ignite the lightsabers and they glow red. Kara and Ethan know what that means. Your wait is over. I have been here the entire time. It's the Margrave! How pathetic, Juro. You would disguise yourself as a droid to spy on us? Before the Jedi can act further, the droid servant descends the stairs. The carapace opens to reveal Margrave Juro. He's been watching. The Sith Acolytes are somehow upset at this. How dare someone outwit them and anticipate their trap? We are Acolytes of the Sith and sworn to the dark side, and we are here to put an end to your pitiful plans of restoring the Jedi Order. Now die, Juro! Anbei charges, but Juro uses the Force to stop him. 
grab his lightsaber from him in the air, and then it changes colors in his hands. Then he uses the force to speed past him, lightsaber out, cuts that little alien in half. Rodin's upset and clashes with Juro in battle. And Jin tells Kara her father has been taken far away where he'll never be seen again. Ethan ignites his lightsaber to protect the innocent Kara. But she reaches for the saber that she's been carrying around. And in a flurry knocks the acolytes back and Ethan too. The droid boatman is watching from the shuttle with his oil tea. Nice boobs. Kara is now fighting three acolytes. Juro is fighting just two, but he's clearly the best with the saber. The tall Taguro is cut down, leaving Rodin with Juro. Nizo joins him, as does Henjin. Now Homan attacks Kara from behind. Judo parries, slays Nizo, then Henjin with efficiency. When Nizo falls, Rodin is enraged, stands, ready to unleash Force Lightning. Kara is still resisting Homan, and that's when her lightsaber, colorless before, turns green. I think the words that came out were, I was like, about time. On my second watch, I realized this was actually the same scene. Homan's lightsaber changed from red to purple, too. The glow is unmistakable when you see him asked just who Kara is. And then it sounds like he was saying you can't, and then he got cut off at the switch when it turns from red to purple. You will suffer, Juro! Rodin is clearly Sith because he's attached to all those around him and it clouds his judgment. Here in this universe, Force Lightning is colored the same as a saber would be, so his lightning is red and it contrasts beautifully on the screen with Juro's green absorption energy. Rodin's Force Lightning knocks the Margrave back and knocks off his helmet. Kara jumps in though with her saber against Rodin to save him. She's a natural easily holding her own, and leaping and jumping around almost like Yoda against Dooku in Attack of the Clones. When she sweeps at his feet with her saber, Rodin jumps to, you know, avoid losing his limbs, but Juro senses the moment, force pushes them onto a platform of kyber crystals. It incinerates him slowly. Juro recovers the saber with the force that Rodin was holding, and Rodin burns up. There's nothing left. Homan and Ethan are still fighting, but Juro knows him, calls out to him, says, Stop, Homan. This isn't you. Homan looks at his saber, says he's sorry, and that he was corrupted by the other's darkness. Juro apologizes to Kara and tells her that a number of Jedi who answered his call were killed, so he had to lay this trap. And because of that, he couldn't save her father. She says it's okay and he promises to help save her father. Ethan regrets he wasn't strong enough to defeat the Sith, but Juro says it's okay because he's still alive. When Ethan asks about the other Jedi, Juro says he senses them. They're not lost, but wandering the galaxy. Juro then invites Kara to join him as the ninth Jedi to restore peace to the galaxy. Kara, you have been guided by the Force ever since the moment you were born. Come and follow me. Help us restore peace to the galaxy and take your place as the Ninth Jedi so we can re-establish the Jedi Order. When he finishes, the crystals in the temple glow bright, and then I realize, oh my, the temple is an inverted saber. It was absolutely intentional. You can't miss it. A starship appears. I'm guessing they're all aboard, and they take it away into hyperspace. 
During that transition to hyperspace, the screen inverts and a lightsaber blade sound is played just in case you missed the fact that the temple is in the shape of a lightsaber. The music swells and end credits begin to appear. I really enjoyed this episode of Visions, and I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. So far, episodes two and three are the ones that missed the mark for me, but The Duel, episode one, was fantastic, and I also enjoyed the last one, The Village Bride. This one, if you ask me right now, is my new favorite. I watched this for the first time just a few days before recording the podcast. I've gone back and forth, but right now, I'm just more satisfied with The Ninth Jedi. I think if there was a tie... I'd have to give it to this one because I heard people on the internet talk about how great this one was, so I actually was primed to be a little bit more critical. I think you just have to allow yourself to experience the episode, see what comes out of it for you emotionally. I said before it felt like I I wanted more. Maybe it played as deeper to me because the director fleshed out a lot of the backstories and did some real crafting of the world beyond what we saw on the screen, at least... An article on StarWarsNews.net described his desire to turn this into a full-length film, and it talked about his preparation. Though I don't want this touching canon, it is the sort of thing I think I can enjoy and not need it to be tied to anything. For a guy who's not a big fan of anime, that should say a lot. This is the way. Our second giveaway announcement is getting closer, and I'll say this. If you haven't entered yet, do it now. The chances to be awarded a Star Wars offering from cufflinks.com are very much in your favor right now. We'd love to give all our listeners a nice gift before Christmas, but if you've not completed all the steps, you cannot win. I can't run a giveaway, give the rules, then bend them to allow for more people to have a chance. It's not fair that way. It's also not like it's really that complicated. If you need instructions, download our September, October, November news update podcasts from this year and follow our guidelines. If you're interested in this giveaway, we have one running on our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast as well. It's a Marvel-themed podcast. And we have podcast plans for Chang-Chi, and we're more than midway through our coverage of the new series Hawkeye. Our Phase 4 podcast has similar rules to enter, and yes, you can be selected for all the prizes. Don't wait. Enter these giveaways now. Please also go check out the merchandise at cufflinks.com, and if you decide to shop, remember 15% off site-wide with the WAY15 coupon code. Everything on the site, 15% off with that code. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisthewaypod, or on facebook.com at slash thisisthewaypod, or email us, thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com. The next episode of Star Wars Visions is already available. It's called 2B1 or T-O-B-1, and it will be the focus of our next Visions podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is the way. May the Force be with you, always. Always.